The following audio is from The Grove Church. For more information about the church or to listen to previous sermons, visit our website at grove.church. Happy Father's Day to all the dads and granddads and great-granddads out there. Why don't you give them a hand? Happy Father's Day, you guys. I want to take a moment and uh, make an announcement. We've been talking for a while about kind of where we're going and asking you to pray with us and even fast and pray with us because we mentioned a little while back that the facilities, the renovation and expansion, which is something we've been moving towards, is kind of like, okay, what are we going to do, God? Because the, the price tag came in pretty large and we're going, okay, hold the phone here. And at the same time that happened, we got a call from, from a church saying, hey, we would love for you to take us over. Well, how many of you guys remember that we're about reaching people with the gospel? That, man, we want to make sure there's room to, to do that, to reach people. And um, when that phone call came, we we're kind of out of nowhere, like, oh, wow, okay, well, let's pray about that. And um, a couple of weeks ago, as we continued that conversation, um, asking everyone to fast and pray together, we've been doing that as a team, and we really felt like it's the right step to take. So... I want to go ahead and announce that um, we are going to have another campus of the Grove Church right now. Uh, that is in Redmond, so it's a ways away, but it's in Redmond. Yeah, you can clap for that, for sure. It's a good thing. And, uh, you know, uh, part, part of it is trying to figure out what happens because the pastor of that church, they meet in a school right now, the pastor of that church has said, you know, I, I need to make a transition, my, my family. And um, by the end of June, and we're like, oh, wow, that's the timeline. Okay, so we're trying to get all of our ducks in a row and, and, and settle up legal stuff and all that. Um, that being said, the question comes up then, okay, who's going to lead this campus of the Grove Church? And that's where Andrew Munoz enters the picture. So, um, yeah, come on. So... Andrew, Andrew and Amanda have been praying about this, feel like this is, this is what God is asking of them. And it was crazy because a few months ago, before these other conversations, a few months ago, Andrew and I had talked about doing some studies on demographics around our county. Cause if you remember with iHeart, it's not just Marysville, but we do it, you know, Stanwood and Arlington and all that. I said, do some studies. Let's figure out where we might want to, where we might want to plant a church. And so in the conversation, this came up. That's what's happening. And, um, obviously it's a big deal. The pastor is done at the end of June. And so, um, Andrew is going to be heading over there and he's going to be the campus pastor starting July 1, which is just a couple of weeks from now. And one of the things that it does mean is it's going to be a lot quieter around here. So I just want you to, to be aware of that and you can clap for that. Absolutely. Anyway, but um, we love Andrew and it doesn't mean he's gone. The truth is because this is a campus of the Grove Church, um, he's still part of us. And for the most part, he's there and he's a campus pastor and he's speaking, but it's not going to be every single Sunday, most Sundays, but we're talking even about at some point, kind of a, ro- a rotation where he's here sometimes. Maybe I'm there, Ryan, other pastors are, are there speaking. And so you'll still see Andrew around here and there. Most of his energy is going to be there. And then also um, Andrew is going to be part of w- with kind of this I could say sort of experiment, trying something new here, uh, figuring out kind of this church campus thing and helping us create a leadership pipeline because we do believe that multi-site is the future, which we've talked about for a long time now as a church that we believe we're going to be planting these campuses, which is why iHeart is in these other areas. We're building bridges into those communities. So anyways, wanted you to know that. Couple other things to be aware of. First of all, Somebody had said to me, okay, does that mean that any resources that have been given towards the expansion of the facility are all of a sudden towards church planting? And the answer is absolutely not. That's been allocated and that will remain for the future expansion, which we'll get to at some point as God provides. No question. Um, so no, that is not going to happen. The other thing is because there's maybe some questions 
Um, we're going to have a, an informational meeting on June 27th, which is two Wednesdays from now. And it's going to be at 7 p.m. here at this facility. And um, it gives you an opportunity to ask certain questions maybe that you have. But also, we're actually looking to create a launch team that wants to go with Andrew and, and somewhere, you know, 30, whatever, 50 people maybe that want to go and be a part of that and help him kind of make that happen. And if that's something that you're interested in or you go, home, oh, I wonder what that would mean. Come to the informational meeting and we'll give you a little more details and, and a few more logistics and even stuff that we're kind of still finding out as we go here, kind of what this looks like and what this means. So June 27th, 7 p.m. It's a Wednesday night, two Wednesdays from now here. Love for you to come and be a part and, and kind of just take this journey with us. And if you got questions or you're interested in maybe part of the launch team, I want to take a moment. I want to pray and I want to ask you to continue to pray about these things because as I already said, now we just want to continue to reach people. And if it can't be through the expansion right now, then, then some other way. And, and this is kind of that step. Father, today we bring this to you. Lord, it is exciting. It's fun. It's crazy. It's, it's anxiety. How does this work? What does this look like? And yet, God, we've said for a long time that, that we're about trying new things, pray hard and learn as we go, that God, we're going to take risks. And so I thank you for this opportunity. We pray you'd cover it and take care of the details and help us to do our diligence and homework and all the stuff we've been working on now for weeks, but also God, now two weeks to go. Lord, just continue to do our best to love those that are part of that church currently, to bring in a team that wants to come alongside of them and be a great church and see something built significantly, God, that we can impact your kingdom because that's our passion in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for praying about that. Um, we're in a series called On Second Thought, and um, we're going to be in the book of First and Second Kings. And, and to be honest with you, um, I'm going to be in a bunch of different places in both of those books. So you can go there in your Bible, and that's great, but um, it's going to be a few different places. Um, today, uh, On Second Thought, this is part two, and Ryan did a great job last week talking about how we view uh, homelessness and, and people that are uh, drug addiction, just stuff like that. Um, and, uh, and so he did a great job. Today, the, the subtitle is Those Meddling Kids. Anybody ever watch Scooby-Doo? I think every episode ended with, and I would have got away with it too, it wasn't for those meddling kids. So today we're talking about those meddling kids. And um, I want to share with you a couple of stories of kids just being dumb. And so um, here, here's one for you. A teenager uh, manages to sneak up and take a selfie with a squirrel, only to have the squirrel turn and attack him, which was awesome. I actually watched that one. Uh, it was pretty cool. Another one was um, a graduating senior who attempted a, a backflip after he accepted his diploma. He walks off in the middle of the stage and all of a sudden does a backflip, comes up short and lands on his face, which was totally awesome to see. I saw that one too. There's one story about a teenager who threw a huge party in his parents' under-construction home, causing $70,000 in damages, and he is no longer with us. Anyway, so no. Um, kids were snorting Smarties so much so that a certain school sent a letter home warning parents of the side effects, which included nose maggots. So I don't, I don't know what that is, but if you snort Smarties, I'm warning you, nose maggots, okay? So there you go. Um, Another one, uh, a Florida teenager was filming himself driving like an idiot. Um, he got into a car accident involving four other vehicles, ended up going to the hospital. During his stay in the hospital, he uploaded the video of him crashing to YouTube, which helped the police arrest him and uh, charge him with <laughs> reckless driving. So if that was you, may God have mercy. On, anyway, um, 
And then this one, and honestly, this one for me was kind of took the cake, but a teenager who got two tattoos of McDonald's receipts on his arm. So I got a little picture of that one for you. I thought, dude, come on. So if you've ever thought this would be an amazing idea, look at that and decide that is not an amazing idea. I don't know what he's thinking, but uh, it's pretty amazing when you see like, seriously, I don't know what the backstory is. I don't want to know. This generation of young people has a lot of individuals worried. And, and we hear things like this. They're very clueless or they don't work hard or they're entitled or they're rude. They, they don't know how to carry a conversation unless it's a text conversation or this is the generation that will take care of me in my old age or it's never been like this or we were never that way growing up. And my question for you is, is that really true? Now, it may, okay, texting, sure, back when I, my day, we'd have texting, so that's new, but is, is this in general, this situation, really that new? Is there another way to look at this? And again, the series is called On Second Thought, because the question is, is it possible that we need to consider On Second Thought? I went through racking my brain all week, thinking of, what is the dumbest thing I ever did? Now, I didn't have to rack my brain because there was a lack of examples. I had to rack my brain to pick like which one was the worst because there's plenty of examples. But the worst one I could think of was me in high school and I used to live on Tulalip and we'd go dirt biking out on the logging roads out there. And me and my friend were out dirt biking and we stopped and there was a pile of stuff and we're kind of looking at it and there was unspent shotgun shells. And I'm like, oh, cool. So there was a bunch of them and there was some wood and there was wood with nails in it. So I've got one board and I laid it as flat on the ground as I could. I set the shotgun shells upside down, like facing down with the little pin thingy, you know, right there. And I put a board with a nail on it on the, that pin and I stepped back and grabbed another board and hit it as hard as I could, hoping to make it explode. Now, thankfully for my sake and his sake, it didn't explode because I'm still alive. And you're thinking, and this is the guy leading this movement. So anyway, I get it. I get it. But I'm convinced, listen, I'm convinced that every generation has had their moments that cause fear and dread and panic in generations that are older than them. And so I really believe there is nothing new about older generations complaining about younger generations. I actually did some more homework and came across an article called this, 15 Historical Complaints About Young People Ruining Everything. And I want to read some of these to you, okay? Listen to this. Quoting an 1816 issue of the Times of London, listen to this. The indecent foreign dance called the waltz was introduced... At the English court on Friday last, it is quite sufficient to cast one's eyes on the voluptuous intertwining of the limbs and close compressure of the bodies to see that it is far indeed removed from the modest reserve which has hitherto been considered distinctive of English females. Now that it is forced on the respectable classes of society by the evil, evil examples of their superiors, we feel it a duty to warn every parent against exposing his daughter to so fatal a contagion. The waltz. Okay, 1771, this came from a book in, in, in France. This is a little hard to understand. It was written kind of historically. Anyway, um, whether, whether are the manly vigor and athletic appearance of our forefathers flown? In other words, where's it gone? Can these be their legitimate heirs? Surely no, a race of effeminate, self-admiring, emaciated fribbles can never have descended in a direct line from the heroes of Portier and Agincourt. 
So there you go, complaining about young people, okay? 1904, psychologist Granville Stanley Hall wrote these words, Never has youth been exposed to such dangers of both perversion and arrest as in our own land and day. Increasing urban life with its temptations, prematurities, sedentary occupations, and passive stimuli, just when an active life is most needed, early emancipation, and a lessening sense for both duty and discipline, the haste to know and do all befitting man's estate before its time. In other words, they're growing up too soon. The mad rush for sudden wealth and the reckless fashion set by its gilded youth. All these lack some of the regulatives that they still have in older lands and more conservative conditions. 1695, Robert Russell wrote in a book, I find by sad experience how the towns and streets are filled with lewd, wicked children. And many children, as they have played about in the streets, have been heard to curse and swear and call one another nicknames. And it would grieve one's heart to hear what body and filthy communications proceeds from the mouths of such. 1843, in the British House of Commons, a speech was made that said this included, A fearful multitude of untutored savages, boys with dogs at their heels, and other evidence of dissolute habits, girls who drive coal carts, ride astride upon horses, drink, swear, fight, smoke, and whistle. They care for nobody. The morals of children are tenfold worse than formerly. And then the last one, and one of my favorites, 1859 in the Scientific American. A pernicious excitement to learn and play chess has spread all over the country. <laughs> and numerous clubs for practicing this game have been formed in cities and villages. Chess is a mere amusement of a very inferior character, which robs the mind of valuable time that might be devoted to nobler acquirements, while it affords no benefit whatever to the body. Chess has acquired a high reputation as being a means to discipline the mind, but persons engaged in sedentary occupations should never practice this cheerless game. They require outdoor exercises, not this sort of mental gladiatorship. All of these examples from the 1600s and 1700s and 1800s and 1900s remind me that this is nothing new, an older generation having complaints and concerns about the younger generation. In fact, if we're all honest in here, I'm pretty sure that every single one of us could recall some stupid behavior that we took part in at some point in our teens or maybe in our 20s. And the problem is this, we end up having kind of a selective memory. We, we remember the virtuous things, but easily forget how dumb we used to be. Honestly, or what happens is we, we tend to look at ourselves at, at 13 and think that we process life the same way that we do now. And that's simply not the case. And so we're, we're either a selective memory or we're too scared to talk of our shortcomings for fear of what people might think or because we're afraid that our, our kids might fall prey to the same idiocy that we took part in when we were younger. 
So in this series and in today's message, I want to challenge us to reconsider the stereotypes of this generation of young people in their teens and their 20s. And I want to start for a moment by reminding us of something called brain science. And brain science says this, the front part of the brain called the prefrontal cortex in, in, as, as a kid is growing up is remodeled last. The prefrontal cortex is the decision-making part of the brain responsible for your ability to plan and think about consequences and solve problems and control impulses. Changes in this part continue into early adulthood. And what I've read in the past is it takes as long as the age of 24 for it to fully develop. And I'm convinced it never does in some people. But anyway, that's another conversation. So I want to take a look here at, at 1 Kings and Second Kings, and I want you to follow along. What I'm reading is a brief history, really in short, of some of the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah. Israel used to be one nation at this point here. It split into two nations, the northern kingdom Israel and the southern kingdom Judah. In First Kings 22, 51, Ahaziah, son of Ahab, became king of Israel in Samaria in the 17th year of King Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. And he reigned over Israel two years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord because he followed the ways of his father and mother and of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, who caused Israel to sin. He served and worshiped Baal and aroused the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, just as his father had done. In the 27th year of Jeroboam, king of Israel, Azariah, son of Amaziah, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 16 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 52 years. His mother was named Jechaliah. She was from Jerusalem. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father had done. That's 2 Kings 15.1. 2 Kings 15.32. In the second year of Pekah, Son of Remaliah, king of Israel, Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 16 years. His mother's name was Jerusha, daughter of Zadok. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father had done. And over and over you read in different portions of First and Second Kings, and it appears also in Chronicles, this same picture that these kings that ended up becoming king fell prey to the model or the example of their father who went before them. And the simple picture, the simple idea here is this is all about the power of influence. That you cannot underestimate the power of influence on the life of a young person, whether they're your child or whether they're the neighborhood kid or whether they're the younger coworker at your workplace or the kid you coach or the kid you got to know through friends or whatever it is. The power of influence cannot be understated. Let me ask you this. How would your current influence right now shape your kids or how is it shaping your kids? How is it shaping the young people that you have some level of influence with? How would your influence shape the generation coming up after you? And it's not just what you say, but what you do. You've maybe heard the phrase before, we teach what we know, but we reproduce who we are. And again, that's not just in parenting, although oftentimes we hear a son becomes like his father, a daughter becomes like their mother. 
And I want you to let that sink in, maybe on Father's Day for you dads and granddads and, and of course for ladies as moms or whatever, but the truth is there's no doubt in my mind that we tend to follow the pattern of what we see modeled before us. So when, I, when you think about this, it's all about influence, and the question is, how do you and I leverage our influence correctly? Oh, this generation, they're a bunch of entitled brats. They don't want to work hard. They're not willing to work for X dollars an hour. They're not willing to take that job because they'll get dirty. They don't want to do this. They want the tech job. They want six figures. They don't have conversations. There's no hope. I weep for the future. Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Anybody remember that? I weep for the future. How do we influence correctly? And I want to give you maybe just a couple of thoughts. It's not an end-all list or the perfect list, but here's a list I want to offer you to process how do you influence the next generation in their teens and 20s starting today. And the first thing I would say is listen without being quick to rush to judgment or offer your opinion. What tends to happen is when we're listening to somebody that's younger than us and we somehow have more experience or we have a position of authority as their teacher or their parent or whatever, that we listen and what we're listening for is what's wrong with what they're saying and mentally building a case for when you can bring a rebuttal instead of actually listening. By the way, this works awesome in marriage too, but anyway. <laughs> listen without rushing to judgment. You've maybe heard before, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And it's true. You, you don't have a platform to all of a sudden give somebody a lecture if you're not willing to listen and hear where they're coming from. Have you ever had a misunderstanding with somebody and there was tension in the relationship and, and frustration and then you sat down and when things were explained, you completely misunderstood what was really going on? Anybody ever been there? Come on. Yeah. Probably all of us. And, and what happened was, because we were willing to take the time to sit down and listen, all of a sudden we could see some of their perspective or what really happened and air whatever needed to be aired so that relationship wasn't severed. I've misunderstood circumstances only to sit down and it's almost laughable sometimes. Like, oh, wait, that's what happened? Oh my word, dude. I'm so sorry I got frustrated by that. Or have you ever been misunderstood? You ever been so misunderstood it causes a rift in a relationship that hasn't been repaired? Painful. And you're wishing for that opportunity. What can I do to make it? How can I explain that they've shut me out? How do I handle this? There's nothing worse than having a rift in a relationship, especially over something that's simply a misunderstanding. And if all we do is listen to build a case for rebuttal, we're not really listening. And I'll tell you what, it's not just young people, but let's just say this, young people know it. They're not listening. They don't really care about where I'm at or what's going on. All they care about is what they think I should do or say or be. Listen without judgment. And, and by the way, we're going to get to it here in a second. It doesn't mean that, that we don't bring a, a correction or we don't bring an opinion or bring something that, that provides the, the right option. But if we're not listening, then we don't really have a platform to speak into their life. The second is this, model authenticity and abundant life. Now, you say, well, what, what, do you, what does that mean? 
Okay, one of the things I know is if for some reason people that are older, and I mentioned it a little bit ago, seem like they're maybe afraid to share some of their struggles with their kids or with people that are younger than them, that, oh my, you're actually human. Oh my, you actually blow it. I know I've sat in meetings before with, with dads who have said, I don't apologize to my kids. They're my kids. I'm sorry, that's pitiful. It's terrible because you're not a perfect parent. None of us are. It's why we get to look to our heavenly father. By the way, if you haven't thanked him for, you know, happy Father's Day, go ahead and take some time today. Lord, thank you for being my heavenly father. But the truth is when we blow it, we need to be authentic and go, you know what? I way overreacted. I, I, I went way across the line. You know, I said something I shouldn't have said. I did something I shouldn't have done. Could you please forgive me for that? And for some reason, you think that that shows some sort of weakness? You know what it shows? Humility. And you know what our families could really use? A good dose of humility. We're all real people. We all are challenged by the fact that none of us is perfect. I love those, the, the verse, and I wish I'd looked it up, make room for each other's faults. Like, hey, you're going to blow it sometimes. So am I. But living authentically and, and, and centered towards abundant life, what do I mean by that? that many of us in here would say, I'm a follower of Christ. That's awesome. Following Jesus is a huge deal, but, but live in a way that that spiritual life is growing and becoming vibrant. And as you're learning and growing, share those things with people around you that you want to try to influence. Obviously, our children, our nephews and nieces, our grandkids or whatever, but the truth is for, for Heather and I, we try to make it a point that, that as we're learning and we're growing and, and, and taking in new things, that we can have conversations with our kids about it that they see that, that our life with Christ is a vibrant life. It's an alive thing. It's not a religious thing. It's going through the motions. We were talking about Heather and I the last few weeks that um, praying about a situation with one of our daughters that's worried about some finances and what we're going to do to handle this situation. And um, so my wife started praying for a miracle. And we actually saw a miracle happen. And so it was so fun to get to sit down with her and go, hey, babe, I know you're worried about this. We were praying for a miracle. Guess what? It happened. Do we share those things or we just kind of forget? Well, that's cool and life goes on. It's also where, and I say all the time, read the Bible. Because here's the deal. When you're reading the scriptures, I am fully convinced that there are moments as you continue to read the scriptures that certain verses come alive, that certain verses convict or challenge or inspire. And it's when that happens that you can go and share how you're growing and what God's doing in you, especially to a younger generation. Again, whether you're kids or, or somebody around you or some of our Remedy Youth leaders, that when you're learning something new spiritually as you take in the scriptures, you can share it with somebody. As opposed to you learned something amazing back at kids camp when you were 15 and 30 years later, you're still sharing the same thing over and over. That gets old. Nothing vibrant about his faith. It's 30 years ago. See, we're, we're called to share the abundant life God gives us in Christ. And when it's not so abundant, we're called to share that too. That's why I talk about living authentically and with abundant life. Because abundant life doesn't mean everything's always perfect. How many of us have prayed prayers God never answered? Three of us? <laughs> exactly. It's okay to share that too. We share with our kids. We're praying about this, nothing. No answer. Opposite. When we share our struggles too, I don't know what God's doing. I feel frustrated by that, but it's okay. He's still God. 
There's something about our need to share that. It's what you see when you read the scriptures. The historical narrative of scripture shows us windows into who God is and how God is working within the nation of Israel, with other nations in the New Testament, under that that covenant with the way, with Christians, followers of Christ, how God is working. And it opens our hearts and eyes, but it's history that's shared. And you need to share yours and I need to share mine. And then, of course, and this is what I'm getting when I say without judgment earlier, listen without judgment, we're still called to teach truth. Listen carefully. And I believe that in listening, the work of the Holy Spirit in us can give us insight into how to respond, into when to respond, into what to say. 1 Timothy 4.12, do not let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for the believers in speech, life, love, faith, and purity. You know what that is? That's a great verse that challenges young people in their teens and 20s. Hey, young person, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. But set an example for the believers in speech, life, love, faith, purity. Where did that come from? Did it just magically appear on a piece of paper one day? No, who wrote it? Paul, who did he write it to? Timothy, what was he doing? He was trying to challenge Timothy. Timothy, I see leadership in you. Timothy, you're the next generation of adults. Timothy, you're gonna lead in the church. Timothy, don't don't be intimidated by false teachers. Timothy, don't be scared to speak the truth. Timothy, lead well. Timothy, I believe in you. Timothy, you got the goods. Timothy, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. Timothy, set an example for the believers in speech, life, love, faith, purity. It's Paul inspiring a young Timothy to lead well. And that's what you and I are called to do. Inspire these young people. Let me ask you this. If you're in your 40s and I go, you know what? You're getting 40 and I'm seeing a lot of crow's feet and hair coming out of weird places and you're just not relevant anymore and you look weird. Does that inspire you? Oh, you're in your 50s now? Boy, 50s is getting old. You're probably like a grandpa and totally irrelevant. Oh, you're in your 60s. Why don't you wear the poodle skirt and go to a sock hop there, parent, you know, whatever. Does that inspire anybody in that era? No. It's discouraging. You're getting old. Don't got a lot of years left. If it doesn't inspire you and you're in your 40s or 50s or 60s or 70s, what makes you think you saying to a young person, why are you so entitled? Why are you such a brat? Your whole generation doesn't get it. You got some growing up to do. Does that inspire any young person? Hey, all right, do this. It's logic. I'm not inspired by somebody who puts me down all the time, talks bad about my generation, says things about my ear hair and weird eyebrow hair now. Getting gray, I needed a haircut. I'm just too busy to get one. I got these gray caterpillars on the side of my face. I said it to myself. You don't even have to say it to me. So. And finally, this be patient. Be patient because God's not finished with young people yet. And you know what? None of us in this room have arrived where God doesn't need to be patient with us. Let's stop talking like this generation is hopeless. That's not true. Does God believe that? 
Does the Lord think there's nothing going on? Does the Lord not see this stuff? No, but I don't believe God would be talking down like that. I was at my daughter's, my family, Heather and I, we were at our, our daughter's piano recital yesterday. And I love those days. It's so fun. Twice a year we go to these recitals and it's fun to watch how good they're getting and stuff. I'm blown away. Um, but it was really cool at the recital. And I wasn't even thinking of this until Heather and I were talking afterwards about kind of this experience. We're sitting there and there's different, different kids that are different um, levels or whatever. You know, some are not great at piano. They're learning, plunking away. And others are pretty good. And others are like all over the place and like, holy cow. Um, and it was really fun. But do you know what I noticed? When a kid was struggling and they would look up, where do you think they would look up? Their parents. All of the parents are all around. And you would see the kids looking up like almost sweaty, like, oh, no, you know. Oh, no. And, and, and looking at their parents for assurance. Like, you still believe in me, right? It's okay. I'm going to get through this, right? They're looking up. But you know what else I noticed? There were kids there. And again, marveling at piano, just playing like they, whatever. Amazing. And every now and then, because the, the teacher that's been teaching them would tell them, if you can, try not to do, have music in front of you. Try to memorize it. So a lot of them would, and, and they would be doing the thing, and they would look up, kind of proud like I'm doing it, but they would look up at their parents. Like, hey, I'm doing good. I'm doing this. And what do you think the parents were doing? When the kid was struggling, you think they're going... You think the kid, the parents doing that? No! The kids struggle, they're going. I, I listen to my girls, and my girls are, are good. I was like, they're doing awesome. And yeah, they were nervous before, like, I don't know, I don't feel good, whatever. And they got out there, all this stuff, and Bach or whatever, I don't know what it was. Anyway, amazing. And I'm, and I'm like, oh my gosh. And they're doing it. And, and my daughters, both of my daughters, at a couple of different times, and I got on video, look up. And where do they look up? To me and their mom. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. And what was my response? You're doing it. You're awesome. You're amazing. That's where this generation doesn't need us to say, you're a social weirdo because you're always on your phone. You're entitled bunch of brats. While sometimes those things feel very, very true, it's not helping any of them become who God wants them to be. Just like at that recital, man, there were kids that struggled and kids that did amazing and everything in between. But every single parent, you got this. Come on. You did it. You're awesome. Video. I got all the cameras out. I got mine. God is asking us to, instead of falling prey to all the criticism of a generation in their teens and 20s, I believe God is asking us to look through his lens, being patient. Offering life abundantly, listening well, believing in this generation because they need us to. Nobody's motivated by negativity. It's not that we don't correct certain things, but you provide the hope and the encouragement that you believe in them because God has a future for them. Can I hear an amen? amen. Father, today, this, this whole series is, is God about stereotypes, and it's so easy to fall prey to all of these stereotypes. But it's so cool when we look through a different lens, God, that, that there's something else going on. And my prayer for all of us, God, is that for our, our, our young generation, as we just celebrated the graduation, I think 42 seniors this year. So awesome. We're so proud of them at the Grove Church. But Lord, as we think about who they are and who they're becoming, Lord, instead of living negatively and talking down to them and, and, and criticizing God, 
That, Father, we can hear where they're coming from, hear how they're processing God, care enough to listen, Lord, and offer them the encouragement, offer them the steering, correct certain things that maybe aren't quite right. But, Father, I pray that we would believe in who you're creating them to be. They haven't arrived. They don't have it all put together. They don't see things the same way we do. And every year removed we are from that age bracket, the more difficult it is to relate. So God help us to see through your lens, not just ours. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Podcast. If you want to keep up to date with us, like us on Facebook or sign up for our e-newsletter at grove.church.